Jimmy Draper and pastored this church for uh, 16 years. Well, th this church is, is a remarkable church. Every pastor gleans from the people he served. And uh, what I found here was a people that uh, loved each other. And then they were, they were willing to change. Whatever it took for the church to do what we needed to do, they, they were willing to do. So it, it's wonderful to be part of a church that's, that's willing to make changes that are significant. Nobody likes change. No change is easy. But change is inevitable. And so the changes we're talking about in this, uh, in this campaign will make us better equipped to maximize our ability to use our facilities to the best advantage. Right now, it's difficult. Now, I love the buildings. I mean, I'm glad. I mean, that's what we had when I got here, and we've used them. But we've used them now for 50 years. And frankly, we've reached a place where that we, we can't really use the buildings as effective as we ought to. So there, there has to be some changes for us to utilize the buildings to their maximum usefulness. And, and that's what this is all about. We, we want to make the changes necessary to create facilities that can be used for the glory of God. The property across the street, what a wonderful advantage that is for us to have it, but it's not necessary for what God called us to do. And, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine, I don't think I've ever thought I'd recommend to a church that they sell property. But that property is, is valuable, but some things are, are, are too difficult to use that, that it's not worth what you have to do to sustain it. What I've prayed for, for for 25, 30 years is that we'd have a church that would be so filled with the Spirit of God that people would just sense it driving by or flying over or whatever. That's what I want, want for the church. And uh, it's up to God, obviously, to let that happen. And nothing we can do to make it happen. But we can be faithful with what He's given us. And we can uh, be willing to make changes that are sometimes uncomfortable. And uh, we can uh, uh, keep our focus on Him and realize that He has a plan for us and, and our parts to be obedient. Well, good morning. Isn't it great to uh, hear one of the fathers and leaders of our church over the past few years just uh, come alongside us during times of decision the way Brother Jimmy Draper has. He's an incredible guy. Really appreciate him walking with us, advising us, uh, informing us as we move forward along with Brother Bill Anderson. And uh, what I have today to share with you is historic. It's important. It's incredibly uh, timely for us, and I'm looking forward to doing that today. By the way, this is the third time I presented this, so if I make mistakes, it's all on me, right? Because it's the third time today. At 8.30, I shared this. Uh, I went out to the North Campus and shared with them, and uh, then coming back today to share this for the third time today. At the, at the latter part of our presentation today, uh, we're going to hand out a booklet that looks like this. And I'm going to wait until then to hand it out because the information that I share with you in this meeting will be right on there in print for you to take home. Uh, and so I want you to watch me, listen to me today instead of uh, look at that. And uh, so we're going to hand that to you just a little bit later. It's an exciting day. It's an exciting, exhilarating moment for us to know that a plan has been brought together to help us see the future and what we are to be doing in the future with our facilities and with our, our ministry plan. But I want to start today in the Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to the book of Psalms today. Psalms chapter 78. Psalm 78. I'm going to read two or three verses from there, and then I'm going to talk for a few moments about this psalm and about the book of Exodus before we come and look at the present challenge in front of us today. And uh, then after I share over the course of the next month, we'll be asking you to pray. The end of our service today will be a time of prayer, uh, and then we'll be praying over the next month. 
including 21 days of prayer beginning June 2nd. So this is the process that is going to be much prayed for, already has been much prayed for, and I'm looking forward to it. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 78, go ahead and stand with me as I read about uh, three verses out of Psalm 78. This psalm is a, a, a psalm and verses dealing with the next generation. When we say the word next in what's next, it's not just what's next chronologically, but we're also saying what's next in the sense of the next generation. In other words, what will the people that follow us have here? What will they experience as a result of the groundwork that we lay down now, the foundation that we're laying down now? Now, there's no question that we are standing on the foundation of those who came before us. And so we want to be faithful stewards to look ahead. And today we're going to be doing that. So here's what it says in Psalm chapter 78, beginning in verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. That is all the statutes and all the laws that God gave Israel. Why? Verse 6. So that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may rise up and tell them to their children, the great works of God, that is, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandment. Now that's something that every parent Every grandparent, every teacher, every concerned individual has for the next generation, lest we be a generation who does not know the Lord. Now, if ever we've lived in an age in America where the next generation can assuredly not know the Lord, we're in that generation. That's important that we have a powerful, strong, vibrant message in ministry in the days ahead. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll let these verses resonate in our hearts and minds as we look at the plans that we're presenting today. Father, give us wisdom, all of us. Help us to have your heart and know your mind. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. 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 Be seated if you would. Now, you, you know me. I've been here 13 years and you know me pretty well that on Sunday morning, I'm very reluctant to do anything except preach the scriptures. And so I open the Bible week by week by week. We walk through a text of the scriptures. And today I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to start with a passage that has just a hint of the next generation, but I'm going to talk about what we're actually going to do physically, uh, geographically, in terms of our facilities and our ministry. Should we proceed forward, this is how we will help inform the next generation in terms of who God is, how big, how powerful, how awesome God is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I took some heart this last week because I was reading the book of Exodus when I was mauling this dilemma of a preacher who's not really going to preach through a text during a presentation, but it's going to talk about a building. And when I read the book of Exodus, I realized something in reading it and looking back at it a couple of times, that, that God does something unique in the book of Exodus. So if you were to read the book of Exodus, you'll find the first 19 chapters of Exodus is about the deliverance, where God delivers his people from bondage to Egypt. So if you read that, you've seen the great pictures of salvation, the great strength of the arm of the Lord, his ability to, to cause Pharaoh to release the people, and the people cross the Red Sea at the bidding of the Lord. First 19 chapters is all about that. Chapter 20 begins five chapters of instruction. So deliverance, instruction, where the law is given in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments come down from the mountain that God has written on tablets of stone for Moses to give to the people. And then 
Those chapters deal with how you live out the law, how you obey God, how you follow God, and the character of God is all through those chapters. Then in chapter 25 through chapter 40, you have details about a building that we call the tabernacle, where the people would worship God, where the law would be taught, where the commandments and the precepts of God would be passed on to the next generation. And in those 15 chapters, God gives Moses instruction about even the furniture that's in the tabernacle so that day by day as they worship, they would have a, a resemblance and a remembrance of what God had done. So for 15 chapters, of the 40 chapters in Exodus, it's all about a building. And all of a sudden, I felt better about talking about a building on Sunday morning. Because buildings matter. The tabernacle mattered to God. The temple mattered to God. Because in those buildings, worship takes place. In those buildings, the precepts of Scripture are passed on from one generation to the next. In those buildings, people are discipled. In those buildings, people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Buildings matter because the people in those buildings matter. Amen? Are you with me? It matters that someone went before us and laid down a foundation for us to worship in this facility. And the connection classes we're in, people matter. And someone understood that and someone laid a foundation. And it's incredibly important that we know that. Let me say this today as we start. The best days of our church are ahead of us and not behind us. The best days are just to come, in fact. Three words resonate with me when I read these texts. The book of Exodus. When I read Psalm 78. When I think about this whole process, which is at least three and a half, four years long as I'll share in just a moment, three words come to my mind. And the first word is the word faith. God calls his people to walk by faith at all times. It's important that we learn to trust God because we have a God who has demonstrated that he is able to be trusted. Do you remember how God has provided for this church over the years? Think about the different juncture points, the different intersections and crossroads we've been at. God has provided. Who can forget the miracle of 2004, 5, and 6 where we were, we were in debt and all of a sudden over 28 months we became debt free? Who can forget the miraculous work of planting something like six stones and, and seeing 7,000 people come to faith over the last few years as a result of that? But you can go further back into our history and you can find Miracle after miracle, incredible thing after incredible thing that God did as a result of his people trusting him by faith. Faith begins your walk with God. You must trust Jesus by faith to forgive you of sin, give you the gift of eternal life. It's by faith that you walk with Christ. So the first word is faith. The second word is the word family. What we're talking about today is the church family. Every member of the church family from young to old. We're also talking about the biological family within the whole church family. We are together a spiritual family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We come from a lot of different nations, a lot of different backgrounds. We've been following Jesus for different, varying amounts of time, but we're all one church family. And within that church family are a number of biological families, moms and dads and grandparents and grand grandmothers and granddads and, and children and preschoolers and children and students who just go the whole gamut. We have all kinds of family that we'll be addressing today. And then finally, the word future. Because the future is often made better by plans laid now. The future is pursued not when the future comes, but the future is best pursued when we pray now about the future, when we plan now for the future. It's incredibly important for us to think ahead 
to the future. So our, our best years are ahead of us. Our best days are ahead of us. And three words that I want you to focus on are faith, family, and future. Now, when I read Psalm 78, I, I made this statement. I wrote it down. How easy it is to forget the great works of the Lord. How easy it is to forget how God has provided. How easy it is to forget God's great moves in our lives. And how equally easy it is to neglect the generation to come. But I would say today, that should not happen on our watch. We should not forget the great works of the Lord and his ability and power. And we should not neglect the next generation in terms of doing all we can to bring them to faith and the knowledge of Christ. And so we do that as best we can, but we plan to be able to do even better in the days ahead. But let me say this to you today. The process that you're going to hear about today really is about three and a half years old. Back in 2016, we began to set aside a group of deacons, about 10 of them in all, that would meet every month as deacons in what we called a long-range vision team, LRV. That team is called Long-Range Vision. And so as we met, we began to realize there were certain potential things that were ahead of us, certain problems that we could solve, certain ministry avenues that we needed to be pursuing. And each time we met, then we realized the potential was gaining closer and closer to a time when we needed to talk seriously. 2018, we set aside two different groups of people within that long-range vision team. There would be a ULIS campus team and there would be a satellite team. Now, the satellite team met and brought a recommendation to our church last year. We, we approved that recommendation by a 98% vote of our congregation. We started a satellite. There are now about 17 or 18 weeks into it. They baptized nine people. Their ninth person was baptized last week. And, uh, and I was doing a little bit of research, and, and, and here's some sad but true research. 83% of churches in America do not baptize more than nine people a year, and our satellite has already reached that point of baptizing that many people. That's pretty incredible. So I would ask this, the successful launch of the satellite has already more than mirrored 83% of entire churches in America in reaching new people for Christ. And I had such a joy in talking with them at the 10 o'clock hour and all the things that are ahead for them as well as for us. So the satellite team did their job. We launched a satellite. We continue to give time and attention to that, reaching new people for Christ. But the ULIS campus team had a bigger job. And that job was so large because of the importance of our facilities and the importance of ministry here at the ULIS campus that we wanted to spend a lot of time and attention with that. Now we have some members of the ULIS campus team in the room today and uh, some of them are staff members and senior staff members and some of them are, are lay people. There are construction professionals uh, who have volunteered their time on the ULIS campus team as well. They were in the 830 service. If you are part of the ULIS campus team and have participated, would you stand up right now, wherever you are? Go ahead and stand up. I'm not going to be able to see, but some of them are, are there are different spots and different, would you give them a hand? There they are. Thank you. Let me tell you, this is not lightweight stuff. These people meet for hours and hours and hours, and they tackle some incredible, incredible problems and incredible solutions in order to bring a recommendation today. And I'm very, very thankful for them. I'm impressed with them. Before the U.S. campus team really began, we completed a feasibility study with our deacons about the facilities and the things we'll talk about today. And the conclusion was, we cannot do nothing. God has provided so much for us, so well for us. 
We have so many other things that are going in such the right direction. We cannot do nothing. We must do something to make our facilities the best possible facilities that we can possibly have because the real people that make up our church and the real people we're reaching for Christ matter. Buildings matter because people matter. And people matter because Christ died for people. So what do we do when we have some challenges in our facilities and we know that people matter? And I'm going to read some of this from what you'll get a little later on because I want it to align perfectly. But let me just say what we're presenting today is a transformational, generational kind of project that would prepare us for ministry well into the future. 10 years from now and 15 years from now, should we move forward, we'll look back and say, what a great move that was. That was wise, it was important, it's impacted many hundreds and thousands of lives. But those kinds of decisions have to be made now in order to move towards the future and change is part of that. So the Euless campus team, in conjunction with the budget and the finance team, will bring a recommendation on June 23rd uh, that we remove Building B, which is essentially made up of our two A-frames, and that we would replace that with a building for kids and students, children and students, and as well as that, build a connector that would connect all of our campus together in the middle of our complex here on the Euless side. So how will that benefit us and what are some of the challenges that we face now? Let me just remind you of some of them. We have a challenge when it comes to guests. We have some wonderful guests that visit our church. They're very transparent, very open. We have lots of people God is leading to join us. And our guests tell us consistently, we love the teaching, we love the worship, we love the choice of ministries that we have across the board. But it's really confusing sometimes to find our way to our connection classes that that are meeting for us and it's hard to find our way back to the worship center and it's really difficult to transverse the campus at Cross City Church. And we listen to that because it's important when a guest comes onto our campus, if they have three children, for example, and it takes them 20 to 25 minutes to take their children to preschool or to children or to put a teenager on the bus to go across the street to campus west, 20 to 25 minutes before they're ready to worship or before they're ready to uh, go to their own connection class, that doesn't work well in the long run. And guests matter. So we want to address that. We also want to address the challenges we have with our kids and our students and our parents. And we have a number of those. For example, you know that our students meet across the street uh, in Campus West, and they have a great facility over there, but it's across the street in Campus West. Students have to get on a bus here, go across the street, and then cross back over in order to join us for worship as well. We also place our children in second and third floor spaces in our oldest building, our A-frames, a mid-60s A-frame. One of those A-frames on the north side was, one of our first, was our first building here, and then the other one was our, our second one, and together they constitute what we call Building B. They're connected, and they're called Building B. And because they are probably the least attractive place for our children, we want to replace Building B with a most attractive alternative for our children. We should not be putting our children on the second and third floor. They should be on the first floor, and they should be on readily accessed places so that moms with kids or children that are walking hand-in-hand hand with a mom or dad can get there in a very quick way and be able to be informed and ready to go. Let me tell you some stories that really, really touched my heart. I ran into a, a parent of one of our students who attends 
uh, Cross City. And this student uh, goes to Campus West every week. And this mom was talking to me. Uh, and she asked me what I did for a living. I told her, well, I, I pastor at Cross City Church. Uh, I think at the time in our conversation, we were calling ourselves just First Euless. So I said, I pastor at First Euless. And she said, oh, my daughter goes to church at that other church across the street. And I said, well, that, that's our church. She goes, no, no, it's not your church. It's, uh, it's across the street. It's on the other side. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm the pastor of First Euless, and I can tell you that Campus West is part of First Euless. And she wanted to say, no, it wasn't. And, and I said, no, you should come sometime and see, right? Now, the good news is we reach kids that may not otherwise be in church, but the bad news is that's not the only way we can reach them. And the bad news is that they sometimes don't know that they're part of a bigger group of people that are intergenerational that care for them and love them. That's important. We don't look to isolate teenagers in a day of isolation. We look to immerse our teenagers and an intergenerational church where mentoring opportunities can take place. And that's something that they need and want. Another story. We have one family with a special needs child. Literally, if they're going to take their child to worship, which takes place for that child's age group on the third floor of building B, the A-frames, this mom or dad will have to take the child out of the wheelchair, carry the wheelchair and the child up to the third floor to worship if they want them to worship. Instead of just traversing the stairs like others might, they have a difficulty in doing that. If we can change that picture, we want to change that picture. And we can change that by relocating our children to the first floor where everyone has absolute access. I was talking to a great volunteer the other day, and that volunteer described helping a mom, a single mom of six, who uh, dropped uh, the children off for this volunteer to hold the hands of some of these kids while mom parked the car, took the baby out of the bathroom and had her out of the car seat. And then the mom walked uh, into the building on our family entrance. And then this volunteer took her to the different places that she had to go in order to drop her kids off. And, and needless to say, that is a difficulty that doesn't have to exist if we plan well. I've actually had one person that told me, well, when I drop guests off and say, this is the place where you'll meet in your small group, the questions sometimes come back to me, how will I find my way back? Well, obviously I'm sharing stories of real people who deal with the real challenge that we may not deal with if we've been here forever and ever. Eventually you find your way around, but here's the deal. Guests matter and kids matter and parents matter and teenagers matter hugely. Can't tell you the number of people that have talked to me about how difficult it is to access our facilities and, and make their way across the facilities to the room that they're going to be meeting in. Some of them, sometimes exposed to the elements, there's no uh, way to be, protect them from being dropped off uh, at the chapel, for example. There's no overpass to protect them from the rain, the hail, the snow, or the 140-degree sunshine that sometimes happens in Texas. There is no protection from that. Accessibility is incredibly important. We also face the challenge of not having one room where we can connect, eat together, have coffee together in larger numbers. And it's important. It's very important that we learn to connect together as a body. One of the greatest joys we have is to have an intergenerational church. What a great thing to have 20s and many, many 20-somethings and many, many 80-somethings and 50-somethings and all in between. We have to have a place where we can connect, where we can fellowship, where we can build a connection because connecting matters. 
It's also about our calling. That everything we do needs to be done with excellence, with thought, with planning, with precision, so that ministry can happen in the best possible way because our calling matters. It all matters. So I'm thrilled to share with you that the Ulysses Campus team has met together and they have over the course of over a year and many, many meetings come and arrived at a conclusion as the best possible scenario. I have a 17-page report which will be made available to you on the, uh, on the web, on our website. And that 17-page report details all the different options they looked at before landing at the one I'm presenting to you today. So let me show you the scope of the process, the scope of the project that we're looking at. Now let me be quick to add that I'm gonna share with you, first of all, this project. I'm also gonna tell you we have a master plan for the entire complex. And I would also say to you that this church does not have a master plan until now. And when we vote on June 23rd, from that moment on, we'll have a master plan for any time in the future that we wanna look at it. But this is the project that's immediately in front of us. First of all, the scope of this project. As I've said, it's replacing Building B with a kids and student facility. This means these old A-frames that you see in orange will be wiped away completely. Now, what you're looking at in the overall scope is the central connector on the right side of that picture, just in front of the drive-up circle, where our tomb is now and where our drop-off is. And then if we look only at the building B, the A-frames, you'll see in that portion, that's where our new kids and new student ministry wing will be. On the left side or the north side will be our student ministry area right across the street, closer than ever before to Trinity High School, closer to the street, not a big parking lot, but right there where they can get in immediately. And uh, then our children's portion of that will be in the center of our overall complex to the uh, south side of that particular building. And then we have the connector. That connector is important as well. Uh, I mean, that, um, that overpass, excuse me, is, is important as well. Go over to that left side, if you will. And on the left side, there is that drive-through that will give greater accessibility. Uh, that accessibility is really important if you go to that entrance and you're there very long at all. Gives us the opportunity to protect people as they walk in. So what you have is you have student building and children's building being built where building B is right now. And it will solve all the problems that we have in the sense of those challenges. It will be able to bring our students together in immersion instead of isolation. It'll put our children just a few steps from the entry of the church, which is that connector building. It allows us to have a place of common fellowship, a coffee shop, indoor playground, etc., and it'll give us better accessibility. That's the project that we're presenting to you today to consider for June 23rd. Let's take about a three-minute walk through these buildings if we can. So as we start this, this is looking at the front Entrance. Now, everyone knows that our church does not have a front entrance, and we're going to create one of those. So that front entrance will be right there where the drive-thru is, and you can see we're looking at it from industrial up kind of high. You see the chapel that's panning to that. And then behind the chapel, you have the new building that we're proposing for students and for children. As we get down closer to street level, you'll see that the protector there for those who drive through will be available. It'll allow people to... Uh, get out of the cars there and drop those off to go to the chapel, which is the immediate right doors, and then straight ahead into our student ministry wing. 
Some of the students have asked questions like, can we possibly have something as cool as we have in Campus West? The answer is absolutely, and there it is. As you begin to look at this, you'll see several things that are not immediately apparent. You see a stairway that goes up to the second floor, which is a place of connecting in small groups. But beyond that translucent wall is a place for basketball and recreation. You'll see places for uh, gaming here on the far right low. And then as you look to the back, much space for recreation interacting with our kids. You'll see on the left a wall, there's a welcome desk. And beyond that wall is something that we do not have for students right now, a dedicated worship space. In that dedicated worship space, there will be at least 400 chairs where we can have corporate worship with our students there. It'll be fully technological. It'll be able to present and teach and worship in that room in a great fashion, as well as break it down for round tables and meals for 250 plus that we can have banquets and other things in there. In addition, the international church may choose to use this at their 11 o'clock service as part of our discussion. That's part of what we're looking at. And it may solve some of the issues that they face on a regular basis. Coming back around to the front, we're going to go in those front doors of that connector for just a moment, that commons area. Very excited about this as well. Once we take care of our children and our students, once we take care of protective access for those who go to the chapel, we want that front door to reflect openness, natural light, ease of access, and the ability to see where you're going to take your family. Look immediately when you get into those doors to the far right. That's our worship center where we are right now. You see our guest central right now. So you'll access it from there. You'll see the stairs at the back and the glass wall that looks over into our miracle garden, which is just right behind us where we are right now. You'll see to the left as we begin to pan that way, that's where our indoor playground is. And obviously lots of space to connect, to have coffee. Did I leave out the coffee shop? No, I don't want to leave that out. That's there as well. I can see families. I can see moms and kids hanging out there during the week. But for guests that come in, they'll see immediately to the right preschool, straight back adult, to the left, the kids' ministry, and to the far left, a hallway that goes to our student ministry, all right there as you come into the commons area. See, what the commons area does for us is it brings our buildings together. When we walk in, it becomes the common thing that connects all the spokes of the building. It's the hub. Everything else is the spoke. Once you go to a ministry area, come right back to the commons and go from the commons to worship or go from the commons wherever else you need to go in the course of that day. It's simplified. It brings it together. It helps guests be able to see where their preschoolers, their children, or they themselves go, or where their students go, right there. Nobody gets on a bus. Nobody climbs a bunch of stairs. All that right there. And we're excited about what that builds for us. I also see this being used in a great way during the week where relationships can be built, interaction takes place, discipleship happens, collaboration, even with city leaders can take place in that commons area. And I'm sure many will be drawn to it for a place to meet and talk about how we impact our community for the kingdom of God. It's a huge resource for us and it draws us all together. So that's the project that we're looking at immediately. Now, I told you this is a master plan thing, so down the road at some later date, we would want to present to you after this project, worship center renovation, enclosed east entrance from where our people that have preschoolers come. The building C adult classrooms will need to be renovated in the years ahead, and as well as that other site improvements that make it far easier for us to get in and out. 
And again, the program I'm going to give you in just a few moments will give you all the pictures of that, and, uh, and you'll be able to see this on the website as well. So the question everybody wonders about is, is this just a dream? Or is this something that has been planned for in terms of funding? How will we pay for this? How will we fund this? What will this cost? And so I'm going to give you some ranges of numbers as close as we can give you today with all that we've calculated. We believe that, that this will be paid for with three key funding sources. Number one, cash reserves. Now, I have something to be thankful to the Lord about. I have a lot of things to be thankful to the Lord about, but one thing I'm thankful of is that God has given us strong financial footing and we have the highest cash balance that we've ever had in the history of our church right now. We plan, should this pass, should this be approved, that two million of that cash balance would immediately go towards this project, giving us a good down payment to begin the whole project. So that's number one. Number two, we believe that the sale of Campus West and the proceeds from that would help further this project in a massive way. And that will, that will require the sale of Campus West. We believe that it will bring between 6.5 and $9 million as a whole. Campus West buildings are on about 10 acres of land. We have about nine other acres to the north of that. So all that's part of what's being considered. Sometimes people ask me, why would you even think about selling Campus West? The primary reason is to unite the whole church family on one side of the street. That's a big deal right there. We want all of our Sunday morning ministry to happen right here. But also there are large portions of Campus West that need upgrading, that need investments, that need money to be poured into that. Only you can imagine what the utility bills for 125,000 square feet are like in the summer. And the fact that we pay for transportation to go back and forth every Sunday morning is a negative thing when it comes to the wisdom of keeping camp. Uh, Campus West. But even if we kept it, we still have to have vast outlays of money in order to prove, improve our student and our children's ministry. We must tackle that. And this is a key phase uh, that we can utilize in order to help pay for this. Someone says, well, what happens to Six Stones? And the truth is Six Stones is doing very well. I'm excited about Six Stones, by the way. I always have been. Most of you know you were probably in this room when we voted to do that 10 years ago. I've been so blessed to see how God has used six stones to minister to so many people in our community, and it's strong, it's doing well. It has a new executive director named Jennifer Lenny. She's doing so well, and the ministry that six stones exercises, I believe, will be around for decades and decades. But keep in mind, when six stones started, it was just us supporting them, and they needed everything that they could get in the way of buildings, in the way of our contributions. But keep in mind also that now 50 churches in Iraq with Six Stones, as well as multiple businesses and several government agencies. There are many, many sources that love Six Stones and that love to come along Six Stone, with Six Stones. And we are now meeting with some of the Six Stone board members and Jennifer Lenny to look at the future. Even though we don't know what exa exactly it looks like, we do know that we're walking by faith in that area. So that's two of the sources. The third source is a fundraising initiative. We would begin urging people to pray about and begin giving over a three-year period of time starting in January or February of next year. And that fundraising initiative that we are advised by, by those who do this with churches, is that we would have the potential of raising 10 to $14 million ourselves and giving above and beyond our regular giving to address this challenge. Keep in mind, without 
uh, without a building to build, without any new initiatives, we paid off $6.6 million worth of debt back in 2004 and 2005 just to become debt free. And this shows us we have great potential. Most churches raise between 1.8 or two times what they have in, a, in an annual budget, which ours is 7 million. So the range would be 10 to 14 million that we could raise over the course of that time, over three years. Now, someone's gonna ask a good question and let me go ahead and ask it and answer it. Would we need short-term or long-term debt? Here's our prayerful goal. We don't know the future, but as we plan, we're planning with a lot of wisdom in order to match the size of the project with the size of what we believe God would provide. And our goal would be that we would have no long-term debt after that three-year fundraising emphasis concludes. So let me summarize this on the screen. The funding and the cost would look something like this. Cash reserve, $2 million. Campus West uh, would be between 6.5 and 9 million. The fundraising initiative between 10 and 14 million. That means the provision that's anticipated would be in the range of 18.5 the 25 million, again, that's a range. We don't know exactly, but that's a conservative approach to this. And the project cost would be between 21 and $23 million. Now let's let that sink in for just a few minutes. Think about that. When I think about numbers like this, I think about my own personal finances and think, well, that's out, that's out above and beyond anything I can imagine. Then I think about us as a church and the hundreds and thousands of people that worship together, that give together, that pray together. Then I think about God. And I think about God's ability to provide his demonstration of his provision in the past. And I realize, got to walk by faith. But God has always demonstrated that where he guides, he provides. And we believe that with all of our heart. We've seen that. So numbers don't intimidate me. But investment is how I look at this. The investment of being able to know that 5, 10, and even 20 years down the road, we have laid the foundation of the best possible ministry we could possibly have here at the Euless campus of Cross City Church. That's a lot. I've talked a lot. I've said a lot. But let me say this. It all comes down to a decision that our congregation must make. Everything I say today is really prefaced with a we. With a we. And as I talk at this point, I'm going to ask those who have the guides to go ahead and stand up and you go ahead and distribute those right now. But keep listening to me. Don't read the book yet. Just listen for a moment. We have prayed... We have met with the Utah campus team and the Long Range planning team. We have asked God for direction. We are informing our entire congregation. We will pray together for 21 days. We will ask, Lord, is this of you? We will meet together on June 23rd and make the decision. This is a, a we proposition where we walk together as the people of God. So what does that decision look like? Well, that decision looks like a motion that will be brought on a paper ballot on June 23rd in our 11 a.m. service. So we'll be asking those from the other venues to be with us at 11 a.m. on that Sunday morning. And it will include a range of costs and sources, just like what you've seen on the screen. And we'll give that ballot out on June 16th. That'll be a week before we actually have to vote on it. But it'll be very similar again to what I've just said and what's printed in the, in the, in the guide that we're handing you. And again, someone would say, when will we start? If we were to vote yes as a congregation, then what next? Well, if we vote yes as a congregation, we will then talk with some of our key donors over the course of the fall. And when we start the individual and corporate time of raising capital, raising money to build these buildings, 
will be about January or February. And when that is there, those commitments are given, then that's when we will begin to break ground. That'll be January, February of 2020. It will take between 15 and uh, 20 months to complete those facilities that we've talked about. So by the end of 21, we will have those facilities. We'll be occupying those. We'll be able to move our students from across the street over here and be able to facilitate ministry that way. Now, there are some things that we just don't know. We don't know how long it will take to sell Campus West. We don't know uh, how long it will actually take to finish the facilities, although we do have some good estimates. But what we do is we walk by faith. We hold our general contractors to the, uh, to the commitments, and we make sure that all this goes on schedule. Now, let me just say this. We've got an incredible team, as I've already shared with you, on the Euless Campus team are bright, bright minds and uh, exemplary leaders, long-time individuals who have served here for many, many years, some construction professionals who do this for a living but who have volunteered their time. And I'm so impressed by the resources we have in the terms of people in order to get a project like this done on time and at cost. So that'll be our approach. That'll be our desire. So what's next? Well, here's what's next. I present this today to you. We make all this information available on the website. We have some important dates. If you'll take your guide and go to the back page with me for just a moment, you'll have a chance to read this at home later and you'll find that it lines up with what I've said today. So we have a June 2nd town hall at 5 p.m. on Sunday, June 2nd, and then another one at five, uh, uh, on the 5th of June on Wednesday night. Those will be times and opportunities for people to ask questions, uh, to share their heart about the project, and we'll have all the answers that we possibly can have at that point. Then June 9 and 12th, follow-up forums. We'll give you details about that later. And a church-wide vote on June uh, the 23rd at the 11 a.m. service. Someone said, do I have to be there to vote? And the answer is, by our Constitution and bylaws, yes, we must be in the room to vote uh, at that 11 o'clock called business, business meeting on June 23rd. So we're asking the 8.30 service to join with us, the international service to join with us as they are today. Uh, we're working on how the uh, Hispanic service can join us as well at the end of that time. We'll dismiss our guest at 11.45 to a special guest presentation, and then we'll have a meeting where we make that decision uh, to move forward or not. Nothing is assumed until we have that time of vote and time of affirmation. But clearly... Clearly, it's time to pray, and we're calling you to prayer. So open up the back page of, from the back, your guide, and what it says here is 21 days of prayer. It's unmistakable. 21 days of prayer. Now, what are we going to pray during those 21 days? Well, we have a pattern already that I think is a pretty successful pattern, and that pattern is three prayers that we ask everyone to pray. Number one, Lord, is this of you? Number two, Lord, what's my part? And number three, Lord, bless us as we reach out and as we attempt to move forward. So we pray those three prayers with the purpose and the intent of bringing ourselves together as a body, as one voice calling out to the Lord and asking him to speak to us. Now, you'll see a 21-day schedule there with just bullet points, but here's what those bullet points represent. They represent detailed information that will be sent to you if you'll be a part of our 21-day email prayer focus. What that means is we'll give you a link. You can sign up for these prayer emails. And every day from June 2nd to June 23rd, you'll receive an email with about a hundred word uh, devotional written by one of those that are involved in this process. Some of our staff members, some of our ECT members and others. 
There'll be a, a prayer that we're encouraging everyone to pray. There'll also be a list of other things, ministries that are happening, even as we pray, that we want you to pray for with us. So for 21 days, we'll get those emails and we'll pray together. Now we'll kick all this off on June 2nd. On June 2nd at 10 p.m., we go into a 12-hour time of focused prayer. You'll get instructions about how this works, but, but for every hour of those 12 hours, we have assigned some people to be a part of that prayer focus. I'll be interacting with you over email. Wherever you are, you'll email your prayer request in your own personal life, and I'll respond to that. We'll pray uh, at that same time, and we'll do that with our entire congregation for 12 hours. That launches 21 days of prayer. I had a guy come to me this morning. He says, you know, I'm led to fast during those 21 days. And I said, you know, I think that's a great thing. And everyone who desires to fast and pray, this would be a great time to do that. We'll have some devotionals about fasting as well. Certainly not required, uh, but what it is is an opportunity for someone to say, I really want to focus on hearing the Lord well. This is a big deal, and it's transformational, generational, almost once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity and kind of proposal that if we do it, we will solve the challenges and we will pave the way for reaching more people for Christ for the decades to come. And that's why I can get all excited about this thing. This thing is so, so incredibly in front of us. We're so ready. And it's time to pray and say, Lord, is this of you? Well, I'm out of words. This is the third time today, folks. I'm out of words. But what an opportunity for us to say, God, is this of you? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And as we stand, we're going to have our time of prayer that we normally have in the middle of our service this time at the end. And I don't, I don't think there's anything hardly more important at this moment than praying about this presentation and these items. I ask you today to join us at the altar if you're so glad to come today. Just like week after week, we ask you to come and pray about the burdens on your heart. Let this be something you're burdened by, something you're praying for, something you're asking God for, something that you're believing God for. Join us today. Come from any place in the building. Join us as we pray. And as you come, just think of these three words. Faith. Family future. Think of these three prayers. Is this of you? What's my part? Bless your people. Take a few moments. Join us in prayer. Lord, as we begin this prayer time today, no matter where people are standing or kneeling or seated in this worship center, we know you hear us. We know you call us to prayer. We know it's an important time. So Father, as we lift our voices up over these next few moments, hear us as we pray in the name of Jesus. Lift your voice up, would you? Pray. Pray.